Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Murphy. Joined by the regular rugby crew that is Westy and Sam. We are back after an international rugby weekend. Um, and it's good to be good to be here as always. Sam, how are you? How was your weekend? Good. Had a good weekend. Went out golfing on Sunday. Just managed to avoid the rain for the two hours, which was beautiful. I watched a lot of rugby on Saturday, hungover after a rake of pints on Friday with ye fine gentlemen. So, good weekend. All in all, uh, enjoyed it outside of having to hung over to watch, rewatch the uh, Ireland Day match, which was not pleasant. But the things I do for this podcast, Smurf, the things I do for this podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you wouldn't have done that anyway. <laughs> you definitely would have done that anyway. Uh, yeah, we got a bit of golf in on uh, Sunday morning, which I was very skeptical of. Sam is like, the, as you know, anyone listens, is the most positive person in the world. I was like, no, it'll be grand. The weather's going to be grand. And I was, as I left my house to go, it just started to piss rain. And it somehow stopped as I got to the golf course. And we literally played in sunshine for two hours. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't get over it. Uh, but that was great, yeah. And we had some lovely pints, yeah. Wes, did you enjoy the pints Friday night? I did enjoy the pints, yeah. They were they were lovely. They were creamy. Um, and it was just the right amount, you know. Um, yeah, I'd say I had one too many, to be perfectly honest. Oh yeah, uh, well, that was grand. I was both excited for me and my partner were in town for the day. We had lunch, we had coffees, um, and then I watched loads and loads of rugby. I mean, it was it was the best day. I would say I was more in the Sam boat. Of I was a little bit rough. Not gonna lie, I think I nearly. I think I nearly faint. I would. I thought I was gonna faint. I woke up at nine a.m. and I went to the bathroom. Just just the number one. Just the number one. Um, my heart started pounding. Um, and my head went really light and I had to sit down for like two minutes um, and then I went back to bed so I don't know if that's supposed to be nearly fainting I've never fainted before but I assume that's what it might feel like I don't know uh, but apart from that though the Guinness was good enjoyed it you know no no regrets no regrets um, but yeah we've got some rugby to talk about boys loads of rugby to talk about loads of rugby to talk about I love an L international window I have to say I do Um We'll just get. Well, I'll just run through the results and then we'll get stuck into the Ireland game. Uh, Italy Samoa kicked us off. Sam, your boys took one hell of a beating. Uh, 49.17. <laughs> Scotland dispatched Fiji 28 points to 12. Uh, Wales, not good against New Zealand. 55 points to 23. Ireland bets at Africa narrowly 19-16. Shout out the revolution. Uh, France bet Australia by a point, 30 points to 29. <laughs> and then England lost Argentina by a point, 29 points to 30. Michael Cheka getting one over on his old buddy, uh, Eddie Jones. Um, Sam, before we get into everyone, do you want to do you want to say anything about your boy Samoa? Uh, I, I was watching Samoa in the Rugby League. That's what I was talking about, I swear. It was nothing. Uh, I said Italy. I meant Tonga uh, in the Rugby oh, League. That, that, apologies. That's what I've been talking about. No, i devastated because I thought Samoa were on the up, but... No, Italy were Italy were quite good in fairness, and it was an enjoyable game. I watched it back. The beauty of all these Ireland A things, and I know you're not really supposed to like it because Jeffrey Rezos and all that, but Amazon Prime is class for rugby. Like watching highlights, watching extended highlights, watching just the punditry beforehand or halftime, or watching it back anytime for the weekend after. So convenient. It's way, way better than live TV. Like I know you got to support local and domestic TV and terrestrial TV and all that, but how convenient when you're doing and you're trying to watch them between feeding children and nap times and all that it's such a handy handy service yeah when when local tv can give me on-demand rugby uh, i'll happily support it you know what i mean but at the moment it give me like fair city uh, and i don't want to watch that sam i don't want to watch it one bit 
Um, we'll get stuck into the Ireland game for a bit, of, a bit more depth. 1916, Wesley, this was just a good old-fashioned battle, wasn't it? Like, physical. These are like, 1916 doesn't sound like a cracker. It was 6-6 six, six at half time. But, like, proper rugby fans would have enjoyed that game. I'm still recovering from your rising reference there. <laughs> Um, I mean, you got to give shout out when, uh, when, when it's due. Well done, sir. Um, no, yeah, definitely. Like um, the first half, definitely slightly more conservative, um, but in terms of gameplay, but some massive, massive hits. And, and I was just kind of uh, listening to kind of people talk about it the last few days. I think one of the great things to 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 take from it is like there was very little, if any, kind of head contacts or kind of like concussion scares or anything like that. It was, you know, there, there was blood and there was sweat and tears, but it was all. Um, just really, really physical, big hits. I know Sam's going to start talking about Mac Hansen now, but like one dunk tackle away, I mean head contact collisions. Um, so it was great to see a really physical battle between two like really, really strong teams. Um, from an Ireland perspective, I've kind of, I've gone through the full range of emotions in the last kind of 48 hours and kind of how I feel about the results now, where I think we are as a team. But um, no, taking on the world champions, I would be the most physical team in the world in a really like, in an arm wrestle like that and coming out on top is, is a brilliant thing to, to have witnessed. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, yeah, South Africa are just different beasts when it comes to the physicality. Like, I, I was saying, saying during the game, I, I didn't see Sam, I didn't see us making a lot of, especially in that first half, a lot of ground with ball in hand, but you're coming up against a brick wall. Like, you're like it's, I, I'm not panicking about Ireland not being able to bully South Africa. Does that make sense? Yeah, they were able to not match them and go head-to-head, which they did, but they, that wasn't the game plan. What they did was they de- nullified them with their game plan and then earned the right to play. And I think that in the second half they did, they got to play a bit more. Be that maybe because Gibson Park came on and changed it a little bit, added a little bit more than Murray was able to give in terms of speed, but also because they had you know shown that they could defend them all, shown that they could attack with them all, shown that they could at- defend and attack around the breakdown. So... Earning the right to play was definitely something that happened after that first half. I know a lot of people were saying, oh, was it 3-3 at halftime or 6-6 at halftime? Uh, it was a low-scoring game, low-scoring affair, but everyone was tired watching it because of how ferocious it had been and just two really angry brick walls smashing into each other. So it was brilliant to see Ireland not back down from that because we've seen them bullied. We've seen Ireland bullied by France and by England at times over the last few years in that style of game. And to see this Ireland finally do it and show that that's the last really piece of the puzzle in terms of what you're looking for Ireland to be able to do. They're able to beat England. They're able to beat New Zealand. They haven't beaten France, but they've shown that they can beat a big South African team, which is, you know, even more so more threatening really than France would be in terms of that side of things. It is, it's very positive. So I think they earned the right to play. And after the first half, I was a little bit like, Oh, hopefully now we can kick on. And they did. And everyone, everyone to a man, all 23 of them stepped up and, did their bit and had their say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Westy, it was a big night for Conor Murray, um, 100 appearance for his uh, country, um, an incredible career, and unfortunately cut you short to injury, which is never uh, never nice to see. Um, but with all that being said, and we've been critical in the last kind of two years in his selection, um, one of, if not the top two best nines this country's ever produced. I think that's fair to say. Whether whatever, whichever way you fall on that uh, debate is one thing, but um, what an incredible career he's had. Yeah, yeah, on his day, definitely, um, definitely one of the best players Ireland's ever produced. Um, uh, and a, a brilliant occasion, brilliant for him to get the start, hundred cap against South Africa. Like it should have been a great occasion for him. Right, there was definitely some. Um, 
something taken away from it maybe by the media in the build-up last couple of weeks, you know, and, and people calling for his, like, why is he included or this person should have got a start instead. You know, he, I think he kind of said the week before that, um, you know, he kind of should be celebrating his first cap or 100th cap, but it's, it's kind of not really fallen that way. But um, I think he came out and he really showed why he is still being picked in an Ireland squad. Like, he was ferociously physical when he came on. Um, okay, the, the speed is an issue. I was, um, I was talking to my dad earlier, funny enough, he said that... Um, Conor Murray's average ruck time apparently is 2.4 seconds, um, which is the same as a as a regular pit stop in the Formula One. Um, so uh, it is a it's it, it, an entire team can change a tire in that time. Now, not a fair comparison, but it was just an interesting uh, a point to raise. So, um, yes, I thought it I think there is still a, a role for Conor Murray in the Ireland squad, but I think Sam talking about Ireland kicking on a huge part of that is Gibson Park coming in and injecting that pace. Um, so look, it's a shame to see kind of Murray go off injured. Now he's out for the rest of the Autumn Nations after it. Uh, so an awful way to to kind of finish your 100th cap. But um, yeah, I think we're still in pretty strong hands with Gibson Park. Yeah, look, yeah, we are a different team with with um, Gibson Park at the helm. I think there's no there's no doubt about that. I think when Ireland play their best, it's due to a lot of what. Gibson Park does and what he brings and I think he he's unlike a lot of our other nines and I think a lot of that is the fact that he grew up in New Zealand and he's he didn't come up through Ireland he didn't come up through the systems I think that you know I would think it would be naive to say that doesn't have a, an impact on it um but still yeah look at Carl Murray who said we're not the biggest fans of his in his podcast but credit where credit's due incredible career and will go down as one of the all-time greats and I, don't. I think rightly so I don't actually think Gibson Park is that different to a lot of our other nines. I think he's different to our. We've other- had this argument before. I think no, but I think in in terms of being better, yeah, he's he's clearly the standout nine in the country. But he's he's different to Connor Murray. Yeah, he's very different to what we know as a a front and center Irish nine. But if you look at the rest of the nines in the country, Doak, Cooney, Marmion, Blade, Casey coming through, Patterson and Munster, like he's not that different. And they're all in that mold. So if Gibson Park is the way forward. Yes, there is a role for Conor Murray in the future, and he did show that he's still capable of playing, not to his best. His best is a couple of years past, but he's definitely a leader in the team. He was picked as Alliance captain. There's a role for him in the team going through to a World Cup, but there are definitely players in reserve that are more in that mould of Gibson Park, and if that's the way you want to play, then I think it's a very positive sign that you see Blady called up from the A's to get into the the team I could feature against Fiji, and then Casey, I know we didn't have a great game in the Ireland A match, but He's in that mold as well. Doak is looking like he's going from strength to strength. Cooney is probably a bit too late for, but I think that there, yeah, there's a role for Conor Murray, and it's brilliant that he got his hundred cap. He's probably Ireland's best ever scrum half if we're being realistic about it. But you know, if the way forward is Gibson Park, which I think he's proved time and time again now for the last two years that it is, we have a number of backups that I think are capable of stepping up and continuing to play that style. But we so we say that all the time, and we we have the other point. When we talk about Jack Carthy. We say the value of bringing. Uh, a 10 who plays a different way. Look at look at Scotland bringing Finn Russell back in. You don't want three players in a squad who play the exact same way. You want to have a Conor Murray who can come on and either shore out a game or start a game with a physical battle and then you switch in Gibson Park and have the pace. So, yeah, you're right. We've got back up to Gibson Park, but um, you don't want three players in a squad that are all going to play the exact same game. You want to have... Uh, you want to have players that can slot in and play case people injured, and you want to have game changers able to come on and inject something different into the game. So th- I think that is Conor Murray's role going forward, be it from a starting position and let uh, Gibson Park or Casey come on and inject the pace or come on and finish out these kind of clutch moment games. 
I think as well, we've often made the point of horses for courses. I think South Africa is a great team for Conor Murray to start against. They're not they're not very pacey. They, you know what they're going to bring. Like If we were playing against DuPont, I don't think Conor Murray would start if everyone else is healthy, if that makes sense. And it's kind of similar with McCluskey, which is off another sad sight to see go off injured early. I think McCluskey against South Africa is ideal. Do you know what I mean? He's massive, he's physical, he's well able to hang with them. Uh, and I think he will thrive in those games. Whereas, again, if we're playing a different style of team, like even like New Zealand or France, I don't necessarily know if he would thrive as much. But, again, it was um, great. He started really well, too. Um, on depth, though, I think we have to, like, you know, I said McCluskey went off and Jimmy Bryan came on. Jimmy Bryan plays wing full back for Leinster, slotted into centre, and Sam looked pretty seamless. Yeah, he didn't put a foot wrong re- really for someone making their debut slightly out of position he was i listening to him after the match and he was in, informed during the week that he would be covering 13 so he sat down with ring rose and uh, asked him to go through exactly what was needed of him and he, he learned the calls from both the wing and 13 but really realistically sat on the bench thinking that he was going to get five minutes at the end of the game maybe on the wing and didn't he ended up getting the gust of 60 minutes i'd say was it was mccluskey went off in 20 something minutes so 60 odd minutes at 13 with ring rows moving into 12 so that's not just changing one player that's changing two positions there changing the whole dynamic of what you're going to do defensively and offensively because you're losing McCuskey for ring row. so for him to come in as comfortably as he did and play what he did you know have a ball fired back at him to clear it in behind the goal line twice in the first five minutes of playing is brilliant uh brilliant first brilliant debut for him I thought he was absolutely immense and I thought he's just now put his hand up and shown that he could be a potential utility back, potential utility player to bring, and a player like that's so invaluable for a World Cup selection. So he's, you know, he's got the opportunity now, a year to go, to really cement his place in there and be on hand whenever is needed. I don't think he'll get a start in birth, maybe if he keeps progressing the way he's progressed. But I don't think he's really going to break into that team anytime soon. Just what the standard player they have in the back line. But if he is the twenty third man, you you're ideal you're set because he can play 13 now wing fullback I think Sexton said post-match that he's played 10 for Leinster I can't remember it that apologies to Leinster fans but if he has played 10 for Leinster that's even more impressive uh, and he's got a left boot which is really convenient considering we use James Lowe so much so all in all is a phenomenal game really really aggressive on the ball he didn't shy away from anything he looked composed even if he was nervous as hell after he said that uh, and then he gave a lovely pass for Mac Hansen's try, which looks like a simple two-on-one, but you get them two-on-ones butchered constantly, in even in professional rugby. He straightened it, he held Colby, and he gave the pass out to Mac Hansen, who inexplicably didn't step about five people before going over the line. So I was a bit peeved at that. It wasn't your standard Mac Hansen try, but no, uh, phenomenal. Really, really good performance, and what a debut. <laughs> what a moment to have your debut. It's not like being thrown in for five minutes at the end of an Italy game. Like You're playing the world champions, and you're playing 60-odd minutes. I'd say Mac, that's the difference between Mac playing for Ireland and Connacht. He didn't have to step five lads to get a try for Ireland. Um, another, uh, you know, credit to our depth, uh, Wesley, was Ty Furlong went off um, injured, I think. Did he go off officially at halftime? Halftime. Halftime. Um, and our boy Finley Bealham came on and I think impressed most people. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, and uh, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but that might be the, well, definitely the earliest he's come on as a sub. Um for Ireland I think the last time he played more than that he was playing on the other side of the scrum against Georgia maybe um, so again he wouldn't necessarily be a player who you were who would be expecting to play 40 minutes of a game or 40 odd minutes as it, as it was and um, we've definitely seen as well with Leinster players like Furlong and Porter have been kept on the pitch more and more and more 
Um, so I think for Finley to come on at half time and kind of, um, I would say, especially initially, to not miss a trick when he came on, he is straight away gets a scrum penalty, gets a couple more as, as the game goes on. It's very physical. One of the things I love about Finley, and, and like I see it in most games, he comes on the bench. Well, again, because I'm watching him, because I'm a Connacht fan, I want to see him do well. But he tends to make a tackle early, roll out of that ruck and make the next tackle again. Like he has this phenomenal work rate. And I think it's really, really underappreciated. And I think that because he came on so early, we got to see a lot more of that. Um, he, he did have a scrum penalty against him um, when the South Africans placed their front row. That just took a readjustment and he was able to uh, to get back on top again. So I think um, I think he's definitely silenced a lot of haters. Uh, probably silenced about half of his critics. The other half will never change their mind until he plays for Leinster. So um, it's just the way things are, I'm afraid. Are you, uh, are you uh, reporting that he's going to move to Leinster? No, they'll never change their mind. Sorry, I should have stopped it there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I huge news. <laughs> great performance from him, um, and I think you know, um, I think there will be rotation next week, and I think Finlay's one of the guys who could be looking at a start. And counter Sam's point, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if Jim O'Brien started next week against Fiji. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they decide to make the changes. Yeah, no, I think uh, Finlay was very, very good too, and it was great to see him uh, come on and be a ball playing prop. Uh, shout out Sam there for his uh, Sam was upset about another podcast uh, saying that he wasn't I'm doubling down on it today <laughs> I don't know why I do it to myself man I just have to, I have to listen to something on the way to work and the Monday morning stuff is always shite and we don't come out till Tuesdays so I can only imagine whenever you arrive to work and everyone's like why is Sam so pissed off all the time when he arrives to work uh, second half started brilliantly again Gibson Park kind of at, at the, at the uh, you know pulling the strings and, and we saw that when we did click we did you know kind of cut South Africa open um, as we've kind of talked about depth Sam is Johnny playing 77 minutes again we've we're kind of sick in the face of talking about this as Irish fans but I don't know does it scream does it does it scream that Andy Farrell trusts Joey when he's not bringing him on until 77 minutes and what Joey I think Johnny went off injured as well Um does that scream like that he's trust he's a lot of trust in Joey? No, it's still a dark mark over the game for me personally. The win is the win. It's an unbelievable result against the world champions, against a team that we had been, you know, it's been leveled at Ireland that they can't compete with a South Africa with a brute force like that. And to do it was brilliant. But you are still looking at it potentially losing Johnny Sexton at a point during the World Cup or then losing him after the World Cup and having a huge redevelopment process. I don't think any player is going to make it through the World Cup completely unscathed. There will have to be rotation. We have South Africa in the group. We'll end up having a really important game against Scotland, which isn't a walkover by any stretch of the imagination. And then a potential quarterfinal if we do get through the, uh, the group stage against New Zealand or France. And we've lost big players in the past and we've ended up having to kind of fly home with our tails between our legs because the players coming in aren't as experienced. I think Sexton was immense again, and he's just going from strength to strength. He's unbelievable. He's probably playing some of the best rugby of his career, and he's in the very twilight of it. Was he 37, nearly 38? For him to be playing to standard he is, is amazing. But some amount of experience has to be given to his understudy, or some amount of confidence has to be given to the player that they deem as understudy. You know, Frawley was picked for the Ireland A match. Now he's injured now and it looks like he's not going to get his Irish cap. Joey Carver was on the bench again and only got three minutes. It's it's worrying from my point of view. Uh, it's hard to maintain how worried you are about it because of the win and because of the joy surround the win. And I'm not in any way disappointed with the win. I just think that that is one black mark that we have. It's something that is 
in my mind, going to bite us in the ass. I hope it doesn't. I hope Sexton plays every minute of the World Cup and we win the World Cup, and that would be absolutely amazing. It would be the best scenario for everyone, but it's so hard to envisage that happening. And for Carberry to come on and essentially get to kick the ball out, being his only real contribution to the game, is not meaningful minutes. And Carty got 90 seconds against France last year, rules him out of the World Cup for the USA if they get into it. That's poor rotation. It's the one blotch in my mind against this Irish management but if they don't have the confidence in the backups they have to have a backup but if they don't have the confidence in the backups what are they supposed to do either so it's it's kind of a cash 22 there yeah this is the thing last year now last year Jack totally outperformed Joey I will die on that hill I don't think anyone who watches the games can genuinely argue with that this year I can I sort of see like the whole question of like no one stepping up like Jack hasn't played enough. He came into the season injured, and he definitely hasn't performed to the level he normally performs. Joey isn't performing well either. The Burns aren't. Harry Byrne is playing AIL at the moment. I think currently or injured. in of it again. Injured probably as well. Ross hasn't stepped up. Billy Burns hasn't done much. Has hasn't been doing much in Ulster. It's kind of you know it's Cooney and Doak's team pretty much. Um, you can look at the likes of Crowley and Frawley, but they're still so inexperienced to be bringing into a setup like that. It is. It's tough. I, I, this year, I can see more of a, or at least more of an excuse for not doing it. Last year, definitely Jack should have been in. I've no doubt about that in my mind. But this year, I don't know what. I don't know what you do if if you don't trust Joey. What like is Westy? Is it ridiculous to bring in Frawley or Crowley at this age, at this young age? Um, I don't think it's necessarily ridiculous. Um, like we'll have learned a lot from the. A game, I suppose, in that regard. I think Frawley's actually been withdrawn, hasn't he? I think yeah, he's injured. injured now. Rolled his knee or something. So Crowley then gets the spot uh, in the in the senior squad. Um, look, the, the, the smart bet here: these three games we have now. This is essentially a little mini World Cup because well, the only difference in the World Cup is we'll have next weekend off, so we'll have time to rest players. So we should kind of take advantage of that here and emulate the Tonga game and play in Fiji. Because although Fiji will play it a lot better, it's going to be a similar type of power game. Um, and then Australia literally beat Scotland by a point, so we can put them as pretty much the same team for the sake of argument. Um, so again, I, like I want to see rotation in the team, but I would stick with my normal point of it needs to be two or three players, and maybe for a Fiji it needs to be three or five players that need to be switched out, because we want uh, those young players coming in to be playing with the right people. So I think maybe you have a better chance of seeing the likes of Jack Crowley play with, or, or um, maybe Crowley on the bench and Carberry to start with Jameson Gibson Park starting and Casey on the bench. And uh, then maybe the likes of Blade has also been retained getting moved in because um, you want to play like in those pairings in your center partnership or in your 19 partnership, you want to maybe play uh, experience within experience uh, and use that to develop players up. Um, you're right. You're right in that we're in a difficult position with the 10, um, but yeah, I think I think the Fiji match now has to be a rotation match, and like the value of being South Africa is massive for us. I think that gives us confidence. That's a box ticking exercise for us going to the to the to the World Cup. I said last week that I feel like us winning it means more uh, for our team as a whole than South Africa winning it means to them as a whole. They don't really care too much about beating us. They'll shake it off. They'll move on. They'll push on ahead. For us, it's kind of more about like we've done. We've beaten the All Blacks in South Africa and England in the last. Uh, in the last 12 months you know it's about building towards the world cup and seeing ourselves achieve these little moments um so i hope that now you will see full-on rotation in the fiji game and then i would love to see you know, a thing of like johnny sexton being capped at something like 50 or 60 minutes 
in every game going forward, regardless of his ability. It's nothing to do with him. I mean, I, I want the cap because he's playing so bloody well that you don't want to remove him. But you do have to prepare for situations where he won't be available. And as, as you guys already said, that that three minutes for Joey Carberry really means nothing. It's not valuable experience. Same with Jack Carthy getting 90 seconds against France. That means nothing. That France game was great experience for Joey Carberry, but you can't now leave him off for another 12 months and not give him a similar test. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, a real, it's a real big question, Mark. It's the only real question, Mark, I think, over this team um, currently. And it's like, you know, as if, you're, if you're asking Johnny Sexton to stay healthy for a, a full World Cup, it's just a, it's highly unlikely for any player uh, never mind someone of his age going into that and his you know injury history. Um, I think though overall the the question that I think coming out of us as well is like this uh, this team's been here before a year from a World Cup number one ranking. Um, you know a lot of expectation. Sam, does it is there something different about this team? Because I personally think there does seem to be a bit of a difference about this team. I think I think they've embraced the number one spot rather than kind of hide away from it. I think you have new kind of players, younger players coming in as well, and the likes of the, the likes of James Lowe, Gibson Park, uh, Mac Hansen, these kind of guys who you know didn't come from Ireland setups, come in with a bit more. There's no mental baggage there. We say that a lot with Connacht teams as well. There just seems a bit more of an edge to this team than the one four years ago. Definitely does. I think the one four years ago were riding high the year before the World Cup and didn't look like they evolved at all. It really started going sour the entire kind of lead into the World Cup. And there was people saying maybe they're keeping their heart, cards close to their chest. And then they were decimated by England in the pre-World Cup friendly. And it all went, it went from bad to worse from there. It just never really got going after that. I think this one, it looks like, and Andy Farrell has said that, you know, they're looking to evolve constantly and they're, they're looking to embrace being the number one. They're looking to keep fighting. They brought in sports psychologists. They made a huge effort to try and build squad depth with these Irish A's and the Emerging Ireland tours and, uh, all of those fixtures. So I think it does. It comes across very different. It has a different feeling about it. I think it has a more resilient feeling about it. I think that they look like they have resolved. They've done things that will mentally give them boosts that Irish teams in the past haven't. It's not like they've just won a Grand Slam. They've gone to New Zealand. They've won there. They've beaten everyone in the Six Nations bar France. They've won away from home. They've beaten South Africa. So it does look like they they have something else about them. And it looks like it can continue I don't see why it wouldn't continue, but they are going to become the most studied team on the planet for the next year because of how well they're playing and because they were able to beat New Zealand and South Africa. So it's very hard to tell where it's going to go from here. I think that they're, I don't want to use the term peaking, but I think that they are at coming to a peak. Whether or not they are at that peak yet is a big question and something that just remained to be seen. It looks like, in my mind, and from all the talk in the camp, from when it wasn't going well to now, I think that they've earned the right to be believed when it wasn't going well. And they said, no, it's going to come good. We trust in this uh, system, have to have faith in the system. And everyone went, oh, it doesn't look like anything's happening. And they said, no, just keep with us. And eventually it did show that they were telling the truth. And I think that that's the same thing that we have to look at now. The word from the camp is that they're extremely positive, that they're going to grow, that their sports psychology is working well for them. And there's a load of room for evolution. So that is, I think, they've earned the right to be believed in that manner. This South Africa game, it's huge. Like Wesley said, it's a box-ticking exercise. It's just another thing that they've done, another step, another monkey off their back. You have to also caveat that with South Africa aren't going to miss as many kicks as they did. They're not going to try out a Damien Williams at 10. They're not going to try out a Colby at full back. These are all things that in a World Cup aren't going to happen. So we have to be better again. It was 1916. It was a brilliant result. I don't think Ireland were at their best. And I do not think South Africa were at their best either. So... There's plenty, plenty more 
to evolve into before the World Cup in a year's time. I think the last point I'll make on this as well, I think the difference as well, four years ago compared to this team now, the trio I stat there before the game, so it'll be now in the last 21 games against Southern Hemisphere opponents, they've now won 13 of those games. Like the, the team four years ago weren't wasn't doing that. You know what I mean? Like um, beating or beating New Zealand down in New Zealand and winning a series down there, all that sort of stuff. You can a team can think that they can do that in their heads and they can believe it as much as they want, but until you actually go and do it, that that's a whole different level of belief. I think then even like winning that game the other day when you're not probably playing your A game now as. Sam, I totally agree. This this game could have easily been six nine point win for South Africa, um, but it wasn't. And Ireland did what they had to do. They showed up. They they bet the world champions, and that's all that matters. Um, there's the, there's a whole different level of belief for this team, uh, and I'm uh, it's it could be an exciting year ahead of us, lads. I don't know. I said we've been here before, but there does seem to be something different about this. Now I'll replay this audio uh, soundbite in <laughs> years time. Uh, we can see how that goes. But um, we meant to start this podcast with Ireland, so we'll quickly talk about that uh, before we get into the other games. Um, Sam, we watched. Well, we, it was on the background of the pub that we were in, um, and we could sense early that it wasn't going well. Um, a poor night, kind of for the Ireland day, obviously. But this kind of turned into the Damien McKenzie show, didn't it? Uh, Sean Stevenson show really Damien McKenzie Sean too, yeah. uh, Damien McKenzie was excellent uh, but where New Zealand or the All Blacks 15 won the game was they just absolutely bullied the Irish forwards it was not an easy day for any of them but a couple of players like Marty Moore uh, Treadwell and or not Treadwell Timoney and Prendergast came out of it you know quite well Gavin Thornbury quietly went about his work Everton hit a couple of lineups, but it was quiet in the loose and uh, they were the only players in the fours that had decent games. I think that New Zealand really got the upper hand. And when you give TJ Paranara a free license because your forwards are so dominant, it's just going to make it easy for them. Between himself, Damon McKenzie, Ruben Love, Sean Stevenson, they just they they ran riot, and it was not a good day at the office really for Ireland. A couple of the subs had impacts. I thought Blade was positive enough in his impact. I didn't see why they kept casing on for so long because it was going so badly for him. So hard to play against. TJ Paranara when your forwards are being dominated that badly. But yeah, all in all, not a great game. Really hard to take much positives out of it. A lot of the players there got a rude awakening of what is required at this standard. That All Blacks team or that New Zealand 15 team was full of studs, full of players that are on the up and full of players that with a lot of experience. So it's it's a good learning curve for them. I think players will come away from it knowing now what's required of them to t- take that next step up you know and then there was, there was also there was changes to the team with the Henshaw injury and McCluskey being brought in and Jim O'Brien being brought off because he was supposed to be starting so you know there was a bit of rotation there but yeah and all and all it was a, a tough old day at the office I would have preferred personally preferred to have seen it in the likes of Ravenhill I think the attendance was quite poor because you have two international games in two days in Dublin, I don't. I didn't see the point in putting in the ODS. I know that they're contractually obliged to keep international games in the Aviva because of the naming rights and all that, but they didn't have to with this. And it would have been nice to have seen it in Ravenhill or, you know, even down in Limerick or in Galway in in the future. Not yet, but it was poor to see so many kind of empty seats with what was a good spectacle and what was potentially a great game. So uh, that was one kind of downside to it. Another, another downside to it. One thing I will say, it was only twenty euro for a ticket to it, which is pretty good con- considering like like a GA game now is fifteen twenty euro or some some cases. So, um, for the level of talent that was in show, especially on the New Zealand side, that was I think that was pretty good. Uh, Wesley Sam had some good points there. You know, is this just a case of 
take your lessons from it, move on, and apart from that, not take a whole pile from it? I, I think you can take a little bit from it. I mean, I, I think the first thing I want to say about it is that, you know, New Zealand have played a lot since they played us. They've played the rugby championship. If you want to see the change in, the, like, now I, I mentioned last week that they, Japan ran them close. I think they won by eight in the end, but look at the Wales game. Like, that, that's a different New Zealand team. That's a more similar New Zealand team to the New Zealand teams of old. And also I want to point out the first two results in July were the Maoris 32, Ireland 17, and New Zealand 42, Ireland 19. So it's, I don't think that we need to, you know, sound the alarm bells because, you know, our, our, our kind of younger select team or inexperienced team went out there and suffered a, uh, what we'd say used to be a regular occurring uh, New Zealand performance. So I think maybe they found out a little bit how to kind of, um, how to get at parts of Ireland game, Ireland's game plan, especially when it's not executed to the heights of, you know, the, the likes of our starting 15 of a Van de Fleer or a Ty Byrne or a Johnny Sexton. Um, so I think it should spur us on to keep evolving. I, I think the lads, you know, they stayed in the fight pretty well uh, as far as the game went on. Um, I think, I think you should, I think it should be motivation to keep learning, right? Because one, New Zealand are starting to figure out parts of our game plan and we need to keep evolving as that's what Johnny Sexton and everyone has said. They haven't peaked. It's a constant uh, state of evolution that they're in. And also, you know, we, when we're in New Zealand, we lost the first test as well, but we learned from it. So the important thing is what we do next and how we progress after that game. It's not Samuel Arbels because we got rooted by New Zealand. If that was the case, we would have lost all three games uh, down there. Well said, well said. Um, all of this talk about that Ireland League game is pointless because the real talking point is whoever stitched Craig Casey up in the walkout. And that's the real talking point of this game. So whoever didn't see it, it's already become a great meme. Uh, this Craig Casey, captaining his country, country Ireland League, uh, fantastic night for him and his family. And <laughs> they picked uh, the tallest girl, uh, underage girl in probably of Ireland, to stand beside him as the mascot to walk out. And she was taller than him. There's no, there's no denying it now at this stage. I want, uh, I want to believe that TJ Paranara just got another psychological battle win over him by sorting that out because that's the sort, of, that's the sort of levels he goes to of pettiness. Uh, off the back. But off the back of that now, it's good to see, like, you know, from a Hurricanes point of view, uh, being a Hurricanes fan, TJ Paranara getting called up into the All Blacks full team again. Uh, he's, he's gone to Edinburgh instead of going to England because they're playing the Barbarians this week, but he's gone to Edinburgh because they're playing Scotland. So I'd love to see him back in the All Blacks frame. You know, Aaron Smith got his 113th cap at the weekend. He's the most capped All Black. But TJ Paranara still has so much to offer for an All Blacks team. It's, it's so good. And the rest of that team, like, I'm looking at it here. You have Tui Vasashek, who they brought over from Rugby League purposely. AJ Lamb, who scores tries for fun. Patrick Tupelotu, who I know Westy is a huge, huge fan of. Uh, Cam Roygaard and Joshua Oney, who are two young prospects at halfback. Like, there was some amount of talent in that team. I think that they went stronger than Ireland did in terms of experience, and it showed in the end. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, we'll move on to the rest of the kind of results from the Autumn Internationals. Um, New Zealand, their first team uh, put up a bit of a score on Wales, 55 points, 23 um, Wales had the odd good moment but then almost immediately followed it up with a, an error or New Zealand would follow up with a score and just always kept them at bay and New Zealand kind of I think Wesley you make a good point there they're kind of hitting their stride a little bit now um, Jordy Barrett at 12 uh, loving it loving that his his catch out in the, on the sideline was beautiful he's an absolute monster I love him screaming at the forwards to go around so that the, so that the, the, the Wales defence will move and create this chance for him to loop back with the blinds it's just genius generaling of, a, of an attack like. Wesley how much would you pay for Jordy Barrett just to scream at you like that 
Oh, I mean, name is Price. If you could spit in my face as well, I mean, that would just be... <laughs> oh, Christ, Sam. I know you'd probably pay big money too, let's be honest. Uh, but that was... Anything to comment on that game, boys, other than just... Uh, like, are we worried about Wales? I, I think, like... I think, again, like, not to go back on what I said, like, you know, I do think New Zealand are starting to improve again. We might still see a couple of close games, but, like, they, it is more reminiscent of an old New Zealand. I think for large parts of it, Wales are there, thereabouts. Um, what really gets me is Wales is twice they are called out by not leaving a pillar in his place. Like, now it's a great, it's a <laughs> very over-the-top dummy from Sam's good mate, Artie Savea. Um, and then another dummy from uh, from Aaron Smith, who again is like one of the best scrum halves in the world still. So if you're gonna if you're gonna move off your mark, he's gonna get around you. Like it's just a matter of fact. So there's 14 points right there. That's an easy solve if they kind of stick to their guns. It's a little bit of inexperience from Wales, but yeah, up until the, up until minute 60, I kind of thought Wales still had a chance. And then we see that old adage, right? You have to be 30 points up or 20 points up against the All Blacks with 20 minutes to go to have a chance. Um, so I'm excited to see the All Blacks coming back. I'm not terrified for Wales. Uh, I think it's a little bit of inexperience, a little bit of youth in the squad. And I, I think they might be able to learn from it, but they are running out of time to start getting the results that they need to. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we'll move on to France, Australia, played out a bit of a cracker. France coming out one-point victors. Um, we all kind of backed France to win this, and the bookies had France as pretty heavy favourites for this game. Sam, did France underperform, or are Australia sort of um, underrated at this stage of a World Cup cycle? A little bit of both. I think France weren't as good as France have been in the last while, but they showed their class in the end. You know, it's just he's worth a try every game. He's unbelievable, and to have the balls to do what he did at the end and win it the way he has was huge. Uh, and I thought also for Marchant try, I thought what Japan did was very illegal and they got away with that one. But in the whole, Australia have been building, I think the Super Rugby specific teams started to look a bit better. They started to kind of look a bit better. Uh, but they are, they're in a tough situation in the Rugby Championship where they have New Zealand and South Africa were two really hard teams to play against. So people write them off and say like, oh, they're shite because they're not winning week in, week out or, you know, they're, they're shy because they got beaten by France, but they, they've been building a squad from their down period for the last while of good young players. And I think it's showing again. So they were good and they, they played some great rugby at times. They really put it to France. And I think they gave Ireland a little bit of an idea of how you can play France and how you can beat France. We have France at home in the Six Nations this year. So it's an opportunity for Ireland to maybe try and get a Grand Slam with England and France at home. It's the better of the two years. And that Australia game can be seen as a bit of a template to how to do it. You know, you run hard at them, go wide, play the ball a little bit, and, you know, don't don't get caught trying to battle them, much like we did against South Africa. Don't get try, caught trying to out-Muslim because it's not going to happen. Uh, I thought I thought France were well worth it, and I thought they were, or Australia were well worth it, and they were unlucky in the end to concede that try. Peno is just a freak of nature. Yeah, he is. He's so good. What, what age is he at this stage? I feel like he's been around for years uh, and 43 days I, I did need the days thank you for that I appreciate yeah. that it's, it's very um, important but I feel like he's been around for ages already um, and he's just he's only going to get better uh, which is a scary thing uh, England Argentina I watched this game myself 29 points uh, Argentina coming out one point victors um, England were 16 point favourites going to this game um, and they were really really sloppy and really really bad um, were probably the better team, especially that first kind of half. Well, at least had more of the ball and just kept throwing it away, kept doing silly shit. Um, and Argentina then played some lovely rugby uh, and come out victors on top. Westy, like we always say, England come good, come a World Cup, and this is sort of part of their whole plan. 
But that was really, really sloppy uh, on Sunday, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'm still not. I still kind of holding on to the dream that like Eddie Jones is a is some tactical mastermind, and we're going to see something insane happen in the Six Nations. But uh, um, seems less and less likely every day. Um, but yeah, I think I was actually texting an English friend of mine during the game, and he was like, "Oh, Argentina look good," and I was like, "Ah, it, you're just giving them silly penalties, and they're kicking them because Buffelli is unreal. Like England will come good in the second half. Like this is." Um, it seemed like England had the power game all locked up, but a couple of moments of brilliance from the Pumas. I just think like their attack is so good to watch. I thought it was a brilliant match. It went back and forth. Yeah, okay. I mean, a lot of it ends up being uh, decided by penalties, but um, I mean, that's just the tide of margins that we're playing with at this level. And if no matter what England's kind of attacking game plan, their big secret might be for the next 12 months, if they're not going to hang on their discipline. They're going to give up territory in important positions and they're going to lose games. And I just thought it was really impressive how the Pumas kept their heads and managed to capitalise on that and scored fucking brilliant tries as well. There's very few teams that scare me like Argentina because there's almost like, you know... Because they've knocked 72 World Cups? Well, that too. There's a bit of baggage. But also, I think we I expect to beat them and then it just rarely happens. Whereas like New Zealand come, like I know how good they are. Whereas like Argentina, sometimes they get hockey by teams and then sometimes they just pull out these ridiculous tries of their ass yeah. and you're sitting there going like, how the hell are we, or how the hell are we 21 points down? But it's coming in. It's coming in more and more often, right? They've beaten the All Blacks twice now in the last three years, having never bet them before. They ran South Africa really close in the Rugby Championship, and they beat Australia. Like it's, um, I totally agree what you're saying. Like they can pull these performances out, but they're becoming more and more frequent. And like, uh, say whatever you want about Argentina rugby, they know how to do World Cups. They know how to get to where they need to be. So I'm really, really excited to see where they go from here because I think. Uh, like Czech has been double jobbing for the last uh, couple of months. He's been working rugby league for the uh, Lebanon team. So now that he's fully focused back with Argentina, I can't wait to see what they come out with. Cost of living crisis, Westy. You know what I mean? Ah, he's gonna, not he's, blaming that's a double job. Um, Sam, what do we think about the names on the jerseys for England? Did you like it, dislike it? Did you care? Well, it's not just England, but I think it's brilliant. And I, I think we've argued about this before in the past about squad numbers and I, know, I think squad numbers is the next step at some point it will happen just because of the marketability rugby is in a place where it's too tied down by tradition overall and there's some things that are brilliant about tradition and there's some things that aren't and the fact that some of the you know we talked about it last week scott penny is an unrecognizable figure for anyone who's not that interested in rugby you know Whereas your Johnny Sexton, Connor Murray, Bundyaki, they're very recognizable figures, but rugby needs to do something about its image and you know, taking players' names and putting them on their back just so that your non-average fan, someone that tunes in for the Autumn Internationals or the Six Nations, is able to recognize the name and say, oh yeah, he played well, without going, oh, yeah, who was your man number 12, whatever. That, that just allows them to engage in the conversation. It makes it a bit more accessible for those people and my girlfriend has gotten huge into rugby since she's been forced to watch it every week with me since we got together uh, eight years ago and she's become a big conic fan and she recognizes players and she sees them out around or more and she says oh, i saw so and so today and stuff but that doesn't happen to everyone but one thing she'll always say is she always watched the six nations even though she didn't know the names of the players she always watched the six nations now if they can read the name on the back she'll be able to just engage in conversation about that other people are the same people in work who just know that i'm into rugby and want to chat to me can you know they they say oh i watched the game of the weekend your man with the red scrum probably good now they'll just know his name and it just makes it a little more accessible so i thought it was a great move and i think that's just another modernization of rugby that's a bit needed because we love the game we love the traditions but sometimes the traditions do hamstring the game a little bit yeah i i don't mind i have no real feelings towards it i don't mind them doing it i've I've no objection to it um westy do you have any opinion on it or are you happy westy definitely hates it westy loves his traditions 
I um I I don't like the idea of squad numbers. I like the idea of the you know positions being numbered on the pitch. Um, I don't have anything against the um against the names in the back necessarily. Actually, that was quite tastefully done in the in um for England. They were you know they were small. Like some of it sounds in the English Premiership. If you watch the teams with names in the back, like it's quite gaudy on the back, and plus it's surrounded by twenty sponsors. So it's like is his surname Gallagher or is it uh is it Murphy? So you, you <laughs> yeah, don't know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, I'm not, like, I, I disagree a bit with what people say, like, oh, it'll boost, like, jersey revenue. I don't think anybody's not buying a rugby jersey because you can't put a name on the back of it, um, which is one of the arguments they made for putting the no, no jersey names in the back. Westy, uh, I want an Irish jersey with Murphy 10 on the back, okay? And I'm going to get it, okay? So you feck off. Well, I'll get a Sharpie and write it on your current Irish <laughs> jersey if you want it that bad. But um, I'm okay with the names. I'm not a huge fan of Like I, I agree with Sam in that like, it does make it easier, I suppose, for the casual fan to follow individual players and look out for the players that they know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like the idea of squad numbers because I think, for me, rugby is the ultimate team sport and that it's not about the individual, it's about the team. Your team should be able to function missing one individual. Um, you know, it's... Um, I just think if you go making squad numbers, it becomes a kind of circus of itself where it's all about individuals and not about the team. I think that's one of the views of the sport. Yeah, yeah, soccer fan, Sam. I think tag team wrestling is the ultimate team sport. <laughs> tag in your man, get the tables, Devon, 3D, that's the ultimate team sport. Where else are you getting that? What about when two men hop in behind the ref's back, Sam? Yeah. If you're going to talk about tag team and you don't bring up the Hardy boys, fuck you. I, yeah. I was Sam Hardy. I legitimately have a t-shirt saying Sam Hardy, Sam Well, Tom you went Tom. to Dudley boys. Yeah, because off. they had the ultimate team move to 3D. Diva, get the tables. It was there. That and the concerto, Edge and Christian, TLC matches. I grew up on that shit. You're too young for that. No, I, I'm not. I'm literally three years younger than you. Uh, I, I lived WWF back in the day. Uh I'm not talking about WCW, my boy Goldberg. Come on. Oh, screw you and your WCW. That's such a Westy move to say WCW. <laughs> God. Westy loves his Beach Bash game on PlayStation. He never had SmackDown versus Raw or SmackDown 1 or 2. He had Beach Bash. And I never will. <laughs> uh, the last two games, Scotland, Fiji, Scotland, 28 points, 12. That's a good win for Scotland, but they have the All Blacks next week. Been Russell um, called up into the squad. Interesting bit of news. Russell called back up. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. Again, it's kind of Scotland Wales. I just don't know where they're at. Do you know what I mean? I'm kind of. I'm trying to like. Am I worried about them come Six Nations time? I don't think I am. I like when the pools got drawn for the World Cup. I I was genuinely kind of worried about Scotland. Uh, and as of now, I wouldn't be worried about them at all. Stuart, but I know it's a year out. Stuart Hogg had a bit of hissy fit on social media as well because people were criticising his, uh, his getting his teeth done and having a man bun and saying he was too interested in his looks. And he said, yeah, I care about my looks. Go fuck yourselves. Which I think he has a point, but I think when you're in a public eye and public figure like that, just try and ignore it. I know it's very, very difficult and I'm not in a position to be able to tell anyone how to live their life, but I think he didn't need to do that and it's just going to add more fuel to the fire, in my opinion. Just laugh with all your money. Do you know what I mean? That's what I would just post a picture of me holding a load of money, uh, with my shiny teeth. Uh, if that if I was him, but um, Westy, your boys Fiji. What did you think? Happy? Um, unhappy? What's What's the next steps? If you were taken over, which you probably will at some stage. Um, my next steps would be to break into the refs' locker room and steal the yellow cards because. <laughs> I mean, unless you're playing against Connacht, it's very difficult to win a game when you have three yellow cards, you know? Um, so I think, look, at, 
it's it's good to see. I think you're seeing benefits in the way Fiji play. Definitely, like having uh, the Fiji team in the um, Fiji and Drua in the Super Rugby has definitely, I think, helped them in terms of like it makes it easier for his team to come together. Um, you'd love to see a semi Randrandra in there as well, but as far as I'm aware, he's he's still injured. Um, so I think it's. I think it's promising stuff from Fiji, but they can be their own worst enemy with their discipline. And I think Scotland um, kind of probably had a, had a bit between their teeth after kind of having a game stolen from them by Australia last week. So, um, and they had this massive injection of their Premiership players, right? So, um, I'd be interested to see, like, if I mean, if Fiji could have controlled the discipline, it could have been a closer game. It's a two-score game at the end of the day, so you could say that these decisions are kind of what the game hinges on but I mean I know Scotland had two yellows as well but one of them is it is like what was it two minutes from the end or um when did Dorothy Graham 79th minute 79th minute yeah so um yeah I think that it's I think Scotland did well and they'll be happy enough to performance they'll need a big step up for New Zealand I I think it's the kind of thing and when I was in Scotland last week a lot of people said this that um they'd, they'd win today but and they'd run New Zealand close but similar to what New Zealand did to Wales I think New Zealand will be too powerful in the last uh, 20 30 minutes and they'll start to pull away I'll tell you what I'll be predicting a heavy win for for New Zealand in the Fanzo app speaking of Fanzo segue we've been knocking these segues out of the park um, our week one of our Master of None League is in the books for Fanzo Fanzo has proudly sponsored or, or partnered with us here at the Master of None uh, for the Autumn Internationals we have a Master of None League you can get involved there's 70 people currently in the league um, it's all kicking off and it's all it's all a bit of fun you can win free pints of Guinness I was throwing out free pints of Guinness to people left right and centre the weekend on WhatsApp uh, I didn't get any I didn't get any spot on so I didn't win for myself but I can send it over to one of my friends and they can enjoy a pint of Guinness during the week uh, on me well Smurf I narrowly missed the Ireland result I had Ireland by two well, look, Ireland won by three so no I'm, I'm can, can, sorry can you I help not. you do the promotion yes you can so I get to enjoy a lovely free pint of Midweek Guinness, because I was within one point of the score. Wesley, is there anything nicer than a midweek Guinness? Oh, two midweek Guinnesses. Oh, you dirty boy. Uh, yes, yeah, so Fanzo, thank you again for partnering us. Um, you can get involved by downloading the app and joining the uh, Guinness Pint Predictor and joining our league, which is using the name None, and you'll be in with all the rest of us. Now, you'll be playing catch-up, but there's still plenty of time. There's still two more weekends of this. Uh, I'll run off the top five currently, and then we can say where we are, guys. By the way, I suck at this, but uh, our top five in first place, uh, eight points clear already, Colin Flannery. I will shout out this. Colin Flannery predicted Argentina to beat England by two points. That is a ballsy call by Colin, uh, and well-deserved there, my friend. So he deserves to be in the lead for that. Second is Paul Shacknessy, 108 points. Third, the one good result for Wales this weekend is Harley Worthy, who is, uh, I, I follow him on Twitter, he's good crack, uh, representing the Welsh flag there at 104 points in third place. Uh, Ulster fan and friend of the podcast, Jack Fogarty, um, sitting on 102 points in fourth. And then Stephen O'Reilly is currently sitting in fifth with 101 points. I'm going to scroll down. I currently am in 38th position on 54 points. So I am already, I'm over 50, what, 58 points, 50, what, nearly 60 points behind already. Uh, Sam, where are you in this league? I'm 22nd with 77 points, but no bang on. A couple of people around me who have less points, more points have perfect, but I have nothing bang on. So I was kind of, I'm middling, but yeah, 22nd. I believe I'm winning out of us three. Yeah, I think you are. Out of all the top five, have one predict, uh, one perfect prediction. Also, 
Uh, Carl Gilmore and Carl McHugh are in 6 and 7 respectively. They also have one perfect prediction. So they're the only 7 out of 70 people who got uh, predicted. That just shows you how hard it is. Westy, where are you? I'm 28th on 71 points. Oh, where are you, Sam? 22nd. Oh, well, you guys you guys always beat me. I'm so bad. I also went with Samoa, so I got a loss on <laughs> my name. Well, well. You deserve a loss for that. And I went with England. Uh, we all got a loss on that one. <laughs> we did. I said South Africa. So, uh, Peter Connolly, who is he's a rugby fan, but I wouldn't say he classifies himself as a, a rugby nut, uh, currently in 10th place, and he joined purely just to support me. So, Peter, thank you for that, and congratulations uh, on being in the top 10. Let's see if you can keep that going. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed actually doing the, uh, doing the predictions, seeing how close I was. I was terrible at it, but I'm looking forward to getting back into it this weekend uh, and predicting again and seeing if I can climb up that leaderboard. I, definitely, I just want to beat one of you. That's kind of all I really want to do. And maybe get one spot on. You might have to go with an outrageous call just to try and you know bump up when everyone else loses. Maybe you I, hear could... just, I hear what you're saying, Sam. I hear what you're saying. Fiji to beat Ireland. Italy to beat Australia. Uh, Scotland to beat New Zealand <laughs> even though I just said they're going to get hammered and Russell's playing though so you never know what's going to happen Georgia to beat Wales at round three calling it now calling it now all the six nations talking to start up again look, love it um, that's the fans though. I want to get that out of the way I do want to I promised uh, avid and loyal listener uh, Pat H on Twitter as he goes by um, there was a bit of talk about central contracts uh, during the week Um we obviously know, I know roughly what central contracts are. I've been critical of them. But he kind of asked to kind of if we can go into a bit more detail of what they are, why there's a lot of talk about them. Excuse me. Um, and I think we should do that to finish off the podcast. So, um, Westy, central contracts, my understanding is that the IRFU has so many to give out. Basically, it means IRFU pay a player's wages rather than the club. And they sort of are giving to what we would think are uh, very vital and important players for Ireland over the length of that said contract. So one year, two year, three year. I don't know. How how high did they go up in years, roughly, do we think? Two, three years? They usually go. I think I think Bundy got three years. I think that's one of the higher ones that you normally see uh, given out. Yeah, like it's important to note that like the RFU, of course, own all of the provinces anyway, and they do supply funding to each province. But yeah, central contracts is basically a way of kind of, um, I suppose giving extra award to players that are more valuable to the Irish system. You know, it's, it, the, the provinces wouldn't have a budget to pay somebody, uh, you know, 600, 700,000 euros, whereas maybe the IRFU would if, they, if they're deemed valuable. Enough. So someone like, I don't know the exact numbers, but someone like Johnny Sexton is on huge numbers. And one of the things that we often kind of lament and bemoan being Connacht fans is that for the, there's been this central contract system for, I mean, since rugby went professional or just after and kind of got their first ever one two years ago, it was Bundy. Um, they do tend to fall a little bit, um, obviously favorable on the Leinster side because that's where most of the players are gone, but we'd love to see it move to a system of maybe each province been guaranteed a couple of centrally contracted players to kind of help balance things out. Um, it's also kind of worrying when you see, you see players uh, maybe who are still on there, who are on the fringes now of Ireland squads or, or older players who get those central contracts. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's basically just con- players become contracted to the IRFU directly rather than by the provinces. And it frees up budget then the provinces to spend on other things. Yeah, so the, the, uh, I could be mistaken here, but I see the current IRFU uh, central contracts I think we have are Andrew Porter, uh, Tyke Furlong, um, Tyke Byrne, Ian Henderson, James Ryan, Peter O'Mahony, uh, obviously Conor Murray, Johnny Sexton, Bundy Aki, Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose, Keith Earls and Jacob Stockdale. 
Am I missing anyone there? I think out of the central contracts. Keen Healy got one signed last year, didn't he? Himself and James Gibson Park. I don't think Healy did, did he? I thought he got an extension. Uh, Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Well, that would actually, that would be, so this is where I get annoyed with central contracts. Central contracts for me should be uh, for our best players uh, or maybe our players who we see as being incredibly important over the next at least two years. Um, And Keen Healy, I don't think is that kind of a player anymore. Uh, So, 22nd of February 2022 it says here Keane Healy and James Park signed new ones so you must have signed a year Park as well yeah okay so yeah so there's a few of these contracts that scream to me like oh thank you for your service rather than like the next two years we need you big time Keane Healy is one of those players I think Conor Murray is one of those players I think Keith or sorry yeah and Keith Earls also um, Keith Earls is 34 years old like, is Keith Earls starting Six Nations games this year Come sorry on. reading further here Keane Healy actually signed, resigned on with Leinster he had lost the central contract so that's my mistake that's okay So well that, that, that's okay because uh, um, I slated him anyway so uh, sorry about that Keane Healy uh, but uh, they like Keith Earls and Conor Murray like, Conor Murray isn't the best nine in this province anymore Keith Earls is he going like, to is he going to start Six Nations games or is he going to start World Cup games um, I don't think if everyone's fit he will uh, I'm a huge Peter Romani fan, but I think he's kind of solidified his position now, especially in Six Nations as a closer. Um, I, I I just I don't know. Like again, maybe I'm misunderstanding it myself, but like you see the likes of Van der Flair who doesn't have one, um, Jack Cohen maybe doesn't have one. <coughs> you know these players who I think are towards our best players, um, and they just don't they're not getting them now. I'm assuming, I'm assuming they can only see so many at, at certain times. But uh, like Murray resigned there recently enough, Keith Earls resigned there. I think uh, end of last year. I know Mahoney as well. Um, I don't know. Like Sam, am I, am I being harsh? Uh, what What's your view on all these concentric contracts? I think it should probably go to a more kind of regionalized system whereby each province gets three, and then there's a few extra discretionary ones, which would most likely be taken up with Leinster players because they have such a wealth of talent. Uh, it It's hard to put any rhyme or reason into who gets them and why some of the older players maybe it's trying to keep them in Ireland instead of moving off for a big lucrative finish near career deal in France that might be the reason why the likes of Conor Murray did it because they feel he's integral to the way Ireland play the amount of central contracted players in Leinster might free up some Leinster budget that the likes of Van der Fleer and stuff are on great contracts anyway so it doesn't matter so you don't really know the ins and outs of it but it does it's quite jarring when you see someone who is not necessarily a starter even at their province being on a central contract and then they get called into Irish squads and it's only going to add fuel to the potential fire of saying like, is he only in the squad because he's central contract? Like I don't personally believe Keith Earls is in the top three, if even four wingers in Ireland in terms of international duty, two caps away from a hundred caps. I think he'll probably be in a six Nations squad if he's fit. And in my mind, he'd be jumping players that he's not necessarily going to be better than. Obviously he brings a wealth of experience and, you know, you can't put a price on that, but it does add to this narrative maybe that centrally contract players can't be dropped, which is not the way that they should be done. I do think that they're integral into the success of Ireland. You look over the UK and their players are run ragged, run off their feet, wanting to move away to France to make money. Some of the clubs are going under because they're motivated by profit and it's, it's a poor system over in England. And I think that they will aim to try and introduce the centrally contract system because I think it is the envy of other countries. And it is integral into our progression in the last 10 years. And some of the better players in Ireland have stayed because of these central contracts. But it is yeah, trying to understand the rhyme or reason behind who gets what and why is very difficult. In my mind, there should be three per province. Uh, players that would be eligible for one, be that the amount of caps they've played in the last few years, 
could choose to move to a province where one is available if they wanted. Uh, but that's maybe not in the IRFU's best interest either. The IRFU's best interest is probably a really successful Leinster and a really successful Ireland, and anything extra on that is also helpful. But you know, that's that's really hard to actually determine. It's just speculation, really, from my point. Well, yeah, that's that's where their main profit comes from. But yeah, like I think if you could get to a stage where you had three in each province, I think yeah, like obviously it would immediately strengthen Connacht because you'd get down two extra good players. Um, Ulster, do Ulster have? They've Stockdale uh, and and Henderson, so they have Henderson space for well, one. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then now what Munster have two. Peter Mahoney and Conor Murray uh, three. and Arbery on one. Uh, no, they've uh, they've three. They've Mahoney, Murray, and Earls. McCarberry's not um, on one, no. I don't believe he is, no. Uh, but I could be mistaken on that one. But uh, you make a good point with other countries. So does any other country have this system, Sam? New Zealand have a semi-kind of state-owned system whereby their clubs are half-owned by the uh, by the football union and half-owned by international investors. So that's slightly the same. They have more centrally contract players and they release their players a lot more often than maybe England do. Uh, I know the two teams in Scotland are owned by their by their union as well, and they're run by the union. They're not uh, they're not for profit. They're not owned by external investors or whatever. But they also have a lot of players playing in England, so they can't really centrally contract the way and have the same rules about being domestically based. So it's hard to really tell because all of the different systems are so you know unique. France is just it's all profit making. It's all. Uh, financially backed big owners and that's why that's such a successful league so every, every league has every team and every group has its merits but i know new zealand do have semi union owned clubs and ireland are all union owned clubs so the central contract system is a lot more easy to implement in ireland but i think the talk out of england at the moment with the demise of wasps and uh, worcester is that they will have to do something about those players the players are making more uh, some of the players making more on match fees alone before the next World Cup than the or or a few gives to championship clubs in a year, which is scandalous. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. I think they're they potentially make up to three hundred grand just of match fees. That's on top of their wages, you know. So centrally contract, contracting those players reigns in the finances a lot more. Um, Westy, we'll finish up on you. What's your opinion on this? What would you like to see this system turn into? Do you think it's a fair system currently, or do you think it's a bit? Um, I don't know what's the best word to use, but what's your views on it? Um, I think it's like it's, it's hard to say, right? Because I, I do think, especially the Leinster players who have, who are on them have earned them, um, especially in the current uh, iteration of of them, because obviously you know rotated and had a central contract. Um, I do like the idea of each province being able to offer two, and that way we each province has two kind of, or, or Sam said maybe three, depending on how many other in total, two, four, six, about 15 is there in total? Yeah, one stage was yeah. 17 or 18. I think it's down a bit now in yeah. the last year or two. So two or three to each province, and then the rest are kind of, let Leinster have the rest, and that's absolutely fine. It would encourage uh, not just players to move in search of game time, but also kind of balance out the province and give us kind of maybe more interesting um, interprovincial clashes, although I do think the interprovincial clashes are still quite strong. One of the other things I, I remember, I think it was maybe Bernard Jackman talking about it, and as Sam said, like one of the motivations is probably to stop players going abroad, but also if you look at maybe the amount of money that a Peter Mahoney is on, 
Munster probably can't afford to keep him at that rate, you know, based on, you know, you have to remember that contracts aren't all given out the same year. So they'd have to look at what funds they have available to offer him if, if he was to come off a central contract. So that can often be motivation if the RFU is helping the provinces keep their top earners and keep them happy by doling out these contracts. Um, I would like to see more of a formal um agreement put on it as i say that that each province gets two or three and then um the rest are up to discretion um yeah i think i think as, as guys said like people are envious of the system it's a pretty good system i just like it to be tweaked a little bit to balance balance in the system is what i what i'd like to see yeah i don't think there's ever a system that doesn't have room for improvement you know like new zealand were successful for years with their system and now it's looking like a different system is better south africa have been the same so I think that you're always looking to improve your system. You're never going to just rest on your laurels. And that's the whole point, And that's the whole development and the whole evolution of rugby. Yeah, no, I, I agree overall. It's a, it's a, it is a good system. I just like a lot of things in Irish rugby. It's heavily weighed to one side. And that's like, as you said, that's probably the business. That's the guys in suits thinking about it rather than obviously the, the sports fans of it all. But um, I hope that uh, helped Pat um, in. I hope we explained that to a certain degree. Uh, obviously we only know so much but um yeah that's any more questions like that let us know we can try and uh, at least get into it a little bit uh we'll wrap up there boys we're just over the hour mark uh we'll be back next weekend as well uh with some more international rugby to cover um until then boys appreciate it as always and we'll chat to you next week Catch you later.